0: Thanks for tuning in to Revolutionary Lumpen Radio. In this episode we bring to you what's going to be a series of many interviews on sex work, sex workers and Marxism. I think it's fair to say that there's no question a divide among Marxist revolutionaries as to whether sex workers work or whether sex workers should be seen as comrades and invited into the struggle, you know invited into these organisations I think like people in general in society obviously get a big reaction when people even mention sex work, sex workers, all of that. The reactions being infantile and just plain wrong, they don't really know what they're talking about, they're only going off other people's opinions and that, so before you can even get into the social, economic political questions that we need to bring an understanding to this massive phenomenon in our society this phenomenon that has legislation and is recognized to an extent as part of like the bureaucracy of states in much of the globe today and it has been like that for sex work in general for ages. I would like to say that this project was picked up with the help of Gemma Paradise XO on Twitter who reached out after hearing our collaboration with Rev Left Radio as well as her Marxist book club. Shout out to She really seemed to like what we were doing here as a project from a revolutionary lumping perspective. You know, looking out for the underclass and the underclass is how I see sex work. It's kind of like criminal economy, just as there's criminal economies for like thieves, drug dealers, all the lumping poles. In this episode, we're not just going to hear like my opinion on what sex workers are, like whether the lumping class, working class, but we're going to go into the reality with sex workers who are faced with the consequences from the mass conceptions on what sex work is and whether it is work whether it isn't what does that do for them as a class and more crucially labor rights struggles and as always to try and bring out the reasons why we need the solidarity to bring the lumpen and the left that much closer which is needed if we're ever going to have this revolution so I'm going to go into it now with Juniper, an author, an academic, a parent, a comrade, and a sex worker. Hope you enjoy. As always, if you like what we do here, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash lumpenpodcast. $1 a month, 40,000 people get us a base in Liverpool, and then we can fly the communist flag in the middle of our city centre. Without further ado
1: violation of policy human rights for investment and support.
2: It's not that some people are just too dumb to understand it i mean that's complete nonsense right it can be taught to anyone uh it is intuitive to some degree and it's not like an intelligence thing and you know we had some black cards one of them which said the pretty factual point that zionism is racism you know it's not just
3: a moral stand it's a political stand what you're talking about is the role that israel plays securing the interests of us and british imperialism in the
0: middle east I would be talking about Iraq or Afghanistan or something today where I am and I like understand these conflicts that have literally been going on since I was born it's just like horrifying
2: it's not it's not British culture it's just the world's culture they love stories they love this idea that there is this nation that looks like this I think it's a distraction from the class struggle to be honest
0: so heavy because of how tough the questions are, just because of how tough females have got it in society, and just like the patriarchal like standards that the you know what I mean the double standards when it comes to like sexuality and just many freedoms. So, to ask, Why would that somebody, make the questions tough because if because what it does is hello, hello, you okay? Hi how Hi. are you juniper? juniper
4: yes that's right
0: so i was just speaking to ryan then about how difficult these questions are gonna be for me i was like oh it's gonna be so heavy on juniper
3: I don't, you know,
0: I don't know. he was like why is like, like why is it gonna be so difficult i was like because the questions themselves are difficult because it's talking about patriarchal standards in society and just how difficult it is being a woman and the double standards that they're faced against and like when it comes to like sexuality and just many freedoms in particular whether it's expression or even just holding power and it's like I'm talking about these things and asking about them like talking about it makes it a truth a reality so that's why it's difficult to be the person to have to do that. It's important. I'm really grateful that you could take on these questions, which is difficult as the are to ask. It's even harder having the experience to answer them.
4: <laughs> you know, talking about things is so necessary. I think what's scary about it is talking about things always might have the potential to implicate ourselves. As a white person, I think about this a lot and the necessity of talking about racism. So, yeah, it fucking sucks sometimes, but I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. I'm used to hard conversations, so don't don't be too afraid.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it is so hard because people want to look at like the situation of sex workers, and then they look at the global consciousness of how to view that, and nobody's really truly explored this situation so much besides people who were involved in sex work themselves they have the most experience and the most actual practical knowledge from this and this is why we're doing this episode now is to turn to those who have the most experience on it and like who haven't just jumped on the bandwagon and how to view sex work you're doing the work to really bring that out that moves on to you yourself what you think you're the person who's just living it and breathing it. Could you have an introduction to yourself? We always love to have that on the show. Who we're speaking to here as a person, you know, your background, where you grew up, how you got interested into politics, how you've survived, how you've made ends meet in the capitalist hellscape that is planet Earth.
4: Okay, great. My name is Juniper Fitzgerald and I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska, which is in the literal middle of the United States. My uh, family background is a bit interesting and hard to talk about at this historical moment. I actually, speaking of Black Lives Matter, protesting here in Omaha, one of my family members just did something absolutely horrible. There's currently a grand jury happening in Omaha, Nebraska right now around his horribly white supremacist actions. So I'm going to refrain from talking about my family too much right now, just because it's so raw and sensitive at the moment but I will say that I'm the love child of um, rural Nebraska and Appalachia. I had an interesting experience um, when I was actually, I would say, one step above squatting in a warehouse years ago. I met an academic. I was a sex worker at the time. I was working in a strip club and also escorting, and um, I met an academic who was so interested in my experiences from an intellectual like not as a lived experience kind of thing but more as a theoretical and feminist point of view and and usually when you do sociology those two things mash up really well but in this case this particular academic was really interested in using my lived experiences for theoretical purposes and that's neither bad nor good i suppose but it it afforded me the opportunity to get a graduate education I studied under her. Um, she kind of took me under her wing. I have always had a horrible time taking tests, so I wasn't a great student on paper. But nonetheless, I got to go to grad school. I was working in the sex industry all through my graduate degree. I got a PhD in sociology, and I also wrote the first children's book with a sex-working parent in it. I have a child myself, and yeah, now I'm in back in Omaha, Nebraska, and...
0: That's all I'm at. So super interesting. I'm going to go through your life and comment on your life right now because I've had similar experiences myself, but I've never obviously made something of it just as you have. firstly starting off on your family business that is family business like all things I hope that the learning experience for everybody and hopefully only two truly good things can come of what was otherwise you know extreme hardship thank you and, and especially when it comes to being one step above squatting I think I've been there myself all too often I guess I'm I'm half there now I mean obviously if it wasn't for me mum letting me live here I'd be in a flipping tough situation just basically being poor and just shitty economic circumstances and you know, political circumstances, you know, even just mental health, you know, it's it's been tough. And it is increasingly tough when many people don't have the opportunities you have in meeting academics and being able to explore, you know, your interest in sociology and society and how it functions and why it functions so much to really give yourself answers and to how you ended up into your situation is it truly your responsibility is it a more broader systemic problem and often enough it is when it comes to meeting like an academic i've met he basically did shows on broadway and was basically like half famous actor and then like i bumped into him at like a protest or something one time and he, oh yeah, he's like an author and that himself and at the time he was trying to do like a Kickstarter in London and he said, well, look, I mean, it's proper interesting, but what you can do is you can write books about this and teach people about it that way. Because he'd done that and like he was trying to work on this play and then he was doing this, trying to make it into a film himself. And he, I, I got to see that process. I went all backstage. can't remember the Adelphi Theatre, I think, in London. That's my Facebook picture anyway, where it's just me up on that stage by myself. got to see all that life all backstage and how these half-famous actors live in that. And like, I was smoking weed with them at the back of this show. <laughs> like after. Like, it was a proper big... London Broadway show, and I'm just smoking joints with with the (laughs) actors in between shows at the back of it. Oh, look, I swear it was a mad experience, mad times, but it is truly like amazing. You got to go on to education from this experience, and you've truly capitalized from that experience, and you've made something from it because you've seen another world where that's where a lot of mental health trauma and that comes from because you don't have these opportunities, you don't meet these very interesting people who can show you a different kind of lifestyle and how society and many other different sects of society live and that so if you're always on the ground and you're literally always close to squatting and and like you've got to do what you you got to do to make ends meet that's where you you don't have hope you you don't you don't try and work towards the future you got no idea how to do it again you've absolutely done what you've done you've smashed it basically and well done you've actually done like children's books and you've referred to like having sex working parents within that to really explore these questions that people have about other people who, who like live different ways in society it's sick you're a sick person you you're a proper cool. <laughs> you. people come on have your chin up like things can change <laughs> there is other ways of doing things and it's about being optimistic and that but let's explore how you got there. You're talking about sex work this whole time, but like the perception on what people have on sex work is this is why we're talking about patriarchy and like the double standards of women. I'm sure everybody's heard this phrase where if you've got a key that opens many locks and you've got a master key. But if you've got a lock that like is open by any key then you've got a shitty lock. <laughs> And like, what does that mean? Well, that's saying basically if you're a male and you use your willy to go into many pussies, then you've got a boss master lock. But if you've got like a pussy who lets many dicks in, then you've got a shit lock. And that's saying basically men can have sex all they want with as much as they want and like women can't. And the slags otherwise and the sluts, they proper look down on and like it makes people sick and that. But why is that? What's the whole purpose in that? And like, Why do we have that when people are forced to live in that? And this is where we come into people's perceptions. Again, it's like when you're trying to have these discussions with sex workers and sex workers have their own opinions when it comes down to politics and society and jumping on to like communist movements and Marxist movements or like social movements people have still got these opinions against them. So they're like, oh, do I really want to be working with this slag here, this, like, sex worker? And, like, this is what's brought us here today. Should they really be working with them? If so, then why are they thinking can these patriarchal ways? Like, what's that about? What's the purpose of it? What does these double standards do for the sex workers who are trying to be involved?
4: Yeah, that's a great question. So I will tell a story, I guess, of my academic work. My dissertation, my PhD dissertation, looked at people who were working in the sex industry, but also trying to attain higher education. You know, it's so interesting to talk about this on the heels of you talking about how this one academic kind of changed my life. I mean, I remember when she suggested grad school, like not even knowing what grad school was.
0: Oh.
4: And, um, and so I really wanted to explore people who were doing sex work, but also trying to get a degree in education, you know, whether it be an undergrad or a graduate degree. And more often than not, people told horror stories of being outed as a sex worker to their schools. I remember one woman who was working in the sex industry came to school and the school newspaper had taken a still from one of the pornos that she was in, so a still of her like naked, and put it on the front page of the school newspaper. And like, as soon as she got to campus, it was like everywhere. So... My question, and when I tell this story, I'm not only to illuminate the bullshit that sex workers have to experience when they're simply trying to get a fucking education, but um, to also say, you know, we never talk about who found that porn, do we? We never talk about the people who That's are fucking masturbating and found yeah. that porn. So why is it always, I mean, that is the double standard in the sex industry, And I think that there are similarities and differences, obviously, between what women outside of the sex industry go through in terms of their sexuality and what sex workers go through, because I wouldn't claim that sex work is a kind of sexuality, uh, not for the laborer, but the double standard is there. You know, it's um, you're persecuted as a sex worker as if it were your sexuality, as if it were the same as being a slut. And of course, it all goes back to the same kind of hatred that we have in our society against women and femininity and female sexuality. But the double standard, yeah, for sex workers is is abhorrent. And it's, when it actually prevents somebody from getting what should be free, knowledge, you know, like this thing that should be able to be accessed by all, when specifically women are prevented from accessing this thing that should be free and accessible to all uh, because of the perception that they are somehow wrong or bad for laboring in the, in the sex industry, even as their male colleagues are the ones who are consuming their labor.
2: Yeah. That's wow. Just wild. Yeah, that's actually what I was going to say. You know, it's it, it's even more hypocritical for them to say that when, I mean, the industry couldn't exist without, I don't know, customers, I suppose, right? So how could you possibly shame one half of that, um, that duopoly, I suppose?
4: Yeah. I think that kind of shame is actually what makes the sex industry dangerous for sex workers because, I mean, oftentimes clients will recognize that they have the upper hand in this equation, that they are the ones who will always be relieved of any kind of responsibility for participating in the sex industry. I mean, that's a kind of immense power over laborers that mostly men have.
2: Yeah, it's definitely an uneven power dynamic, and I mean, it's, it's kind of the relationship is there between that situation and a sort of quote unquote traditional working environment, but it's just a lot more raw, I guess. It's a lot more unfiltered, I suppose, a lot more blatant, obvious.
4: Yeah. And I think with sex workers, the one thing that does make sex work a little bit different than other working class labor is that because it involves sex and eroticism and emotional labor, people perceive that to be an identity like that, our nice. core identity as sex worker is that of sex maker, not as laborer, and mm-hmm. I think that that's part of the problem too.
0: I mean, it's so well said on so many different fronts. What I think was an extremely valuable point that you you mentioned was trying to access academic, like academia, and how many cha- like challenges th- that can be faced for sex workers there because of obviously being afraid of being ousted as a sex worker. I never even imagined how difficult it must be for sex workers to achieve, like, you know, to go into education, because I myself wasn't educated. So, yeah, that just, like, just broke my mind a little bit. The double standards that was mentioned, yes, somebody did find that porn video, and, like, at the same time, they're, like, being hypocritical and saying, well, you've done porn, whilst, obviously, they're watching porn. this hypocrisy is bound to be a trait in the ideology of a liberal somebody who follows democracy and because that's just like a part of the ideology and in many ways that ties into your sexuality being a part of your labor could you just go into that a little bit more and how your labor your work isn't your sexuality or even your identity and how that's like saying i guess I mean, I would say that's like saying if you have a job under the capitalist, then you're a capitalist because your job is now your identity. And I guess if you really want to remove the hypocrisy, and if I say that like unsarcastically, then if you have a job, you are a capitalist because you're not a full-time revolutionary. Therefore, you can't actually be a communist. You can't actually be a comrade. Oh yeah,
4: those that, such such great points about laboring under capitalist. Capitalism makes you a capitalist. I mean, I, I'm actually really cri- I mean, I'm critical. People who know me will say I'm critical of everything, but I'm really critical of kind of sex positivity. I hate the idea that a lot of sex workers will, and I, and I think that this is to be under, like, I understand this perspective. Sex workers have been persecuted for so long that the natural tendency is to respond to criticism of the sex industry by saying, no, 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 I love my job so I understand why some sex workers do that. I, I think my whole, my whole position is that we don't have to love our jobs in order to have labor rights. And indeed that, I mean, to me, that is the whole purpose of a revolution is to bring forth more rights for people so that we do get to have more agency in our lives. I'm, Really frustrated with people who call themselves revolutionaries or even communists who are very anti sex work and think that the way to mitigate harm in the sex industry is to eradicate it completely. We don't talk about any other labor industry in that way. Um, As revolutionaries, we talk about how rights lead to liberation, essentially. I'm really simplifying the argument, but for illumination purposes. I mean, this comes back to the idea of sex work as an identity or a sexuality. Maybe when I was younger, I mean, I started working in the sex industry when I was 19, 20 years old. And I mean, I remember feeling a sense of kind of excitement as a queer woman. Like I got to spend most of my days around naked women. Like that was exciting to me. (laughs) I really enjoyed that. But I don't think it was... (laughs) But like the labor of it, you know, the labor of emotional labor or giving lap dances or meeting a guy at a hotel, like that was not my sexuality and policies or even conceptions of human rights in the sex industry should not be based on the idea that this is a sexuality because the only person who is exercising their sexuality in that exchange, usually the guy, you know, I mean, the guy who that's his sexuality, not mine. Don't base your perceptions on the industry based on his identity and sexuality, because that's not my truth.
0: Go into that a little bit further. That's properly interesting. What do you mean?
4: Well, I just mean that if somebody, I mean, most of my clients were men. I had a few female clients, which were those were always fun. But even even having female clients in the sex industry, it wasn't my sexuality. It was always a conversation about what this person was hoping to gain from our interaction, whether it was a lap dance, whether it was again, meeting in a hotel room, whether it was a voyeuristic dance on stage or whatever, like it, it was, it's labor, right? If you're making coffee, if you're a barista, you're taking orders, you're making the coffee that people want. And the same is true of the sex industry. I'm taking orders, for lack of a better word, from customers and providing a service that they are paying for. So I think, and the term sex work is really important to designate that, yes, it is about sex, but it's also about work. And I would say that my experience in the sex industry has overwhelmingly been work. Yeah, I mean, I guess the best way of illuminating that is to talk about just how, when you work in the sex industry for years and years, there comes a point where, like, you can be giving a guy a boner and you just feel so fucking bored and, like, you're going through your grocery list. Like, that is labor. Oh, definitely. Definitely. You know, that's not my sexuality. I'm not sexually enjoying the labor that I'm engaged in. I'm just like, fuck, I can't wait to get off work Yeah, you know, get stoned and go grocery shopping.
0: Yeah, I get you. So let's tie that back into, obviously, this Marxist Leninist podcast kind of project (laughs) and then talk about the views on the left, especially when it comes down to it not being actual work. I think that what it comes down to is being a petty bourgeois reactionary and not identifying it as work because if you don't see sex work as work then you get to say that sex workers aren't workers therefore they're not part of these real working class therefore you don't have to defend and engage in these questions on what is sex positive, what is not sex positive, what is exploitation, what isn't exploitation. These are the subjects that people don't want to get involved in, because then you might have to improve the working conditions of this sex work now that you've identified it is working. And then what you also do is you don't get to be the hypocrite who watches the porn whilst being hypocritical of the porn, but society has made you that much of a sexually frustrated person because it's taken away the natural ritual to be able to mate and to be able to find a partner because it's all being capitalized. And if you want to find a partner now, you've got to go onto these websites. You've got to do all these other mating practices now that every part of our life is being taken away from us. So, At the same time, these people that turn into sex workers to find this urge to find that female body to be happy about And now that you're both naked enjoying, like, one-on-one touch. But you need the slave in order to be the person who can dominate whilst you yourself are being dominated under class-structured society. What would you say on that? Would you think that that's a fair take, or...?
4: (laughs) I mean, that is... um, I mean, you said it in a way that feels like poetry. I would say... I, I mean, as a queer woman, I don't think of my, like my non-commercial sex life as like just for mating. I mean, I have sex with women and um, it's just about pleasure. It's not about like procreation, but yeah, I I think your point is uh, well stated that we now have to go through these capitalistic channels in order to meet a partner I think my experience in Nebraska is just so different because there's really not a lot of people here that I would have sex with. <laughs> <laughs> and usually all the cool people move away from Nebraska anyway, because our politics are so horrible. But in any case, yeah, I mean, I, I hear your point.
0: It is kind of talking about cool people as well, in it, though? Because the cool people are having a lot of consensual sex in. I think that the uncool people are a little bit jealous of that. I think that that's obviously a part of it as well. But, I mean, they're jealous because the capitalists have capitalized on what sexuality is, and, and that's why many sex workers, I think, have turned to feminism too and, and engaged in that kind of theory too, because that's where you're left to turn to when it comes down to these power struggles in society, especially if, like, communists are never turning a blind eye. You know, um, (laughs) not to offend anybody there, but that's just a little observation I've made.
4: I think that's great, especially if we look at people who are self-identified incels and the violence that they have, you know, reeked mm. over the bodies of especially women. Um, and many of them, at least in the United States, claiming that the, that they are pissed off that they're not getting attention from women. So, I mean, I think jealousy is a, like way, we need to talk about jealousy a lot more, I think. And I think maybe, God, now I'm going way off track, but I think that the reason that we don't talk about jealousy as often as we should in like radical spaces is perhaps because we associate jealousy with kind of catty feminine behavior. Whereas I think it is, I mean, I think jealousy is like a real motivating factor in a lot of violence. Again, at least in the United States.
0: It's the ego when it's being offended and it has to lash out and it has to obviously dominate to make up for what it feels is being dominated.
4: Oh yeah, for sure. And to this point, just really quick, I want to mention that there are like a lot of perhaps well-meaning liberals who will say things like, Well, if sex work were legal, and by the way, we don't want legalization, we want decriminalization, but they'll say things like, if sex work were legalized, all of these incels would have a sexual outlet and then they wouldn't be so violent. And I just want to say that that kind of shit is so dangerous and so violent. Conceptualizing sex workers' bodies as like a vessel into which you can put violence is so fucked up on so many levels. And so white liberals need to get a grip That's all I'll say
2: about that. Right. It's like the dehumanization of a person. And instead, they're just a means to an end, right? They're not like a person in and of themselves. They're simply a tool to be used by someone else to reduce violence.
0: Right.
4: And even as you're advocating for less labor rights, you want sex workers to be this vessel into which you can put social anxiety. And you also don't think that it's real work deserving of labor rights. So it's a pretty pernicious cycle.
2: Yeah. I was also just going to say that like jealousy is like a basic motivating factor of capitalism, right? It wants you to be jealous ultimately of the people around you that have bigger things, nicer things, so that you'll work harder and, you know, contribute more to the system, right? They want you to look around and want more. Than- that's what keeping up with the Joneses is, right? That's what that's built on.
4: Totally. I
2: think there's a lot
4: of jealousy among cis women as well. I think cis women can often be afraid that sex workers are going to take resources from them. And, you know, in a patriarchal structure, cis women do get most of their resources from a patriarchal relationship and so they're afraid that sex workers will, will take their resources oh
0: yeah but yeah no, know I definitely can see that happening yeah definitely definitely especially if like the successful like people on it so I mean we'll, we'll skip a few questions here what do you think the cis women would think of OnlyFans and is OnlyFans kind of liberatory or is it a negative thing? How does it impact society in general?
4: Great question. I think OnlyFans, like any other kind of labor under capitalism, is de facto oppressive. I mean, I think all labor under capitalism is oppressive, whether you're working in the sex industry or academia, of which I've done both. But OnlyFans, I mean, it's a tool. It's a tool for sex workers. I think what is problematic about OnlyFans is that now in this kind of um, shit show that is 2020, there are more mainstream people getting on OnlyFans and, you know, using it to increase their celebrity. So they're not using it as a tool in the way that sex workers use it as a tool. They're using it as a platform to kind of increase their celebrity. They are using it to look more edgy almost. Mm-hmm. And there, there was a situation, I can't even remember this woman's name. It's
2: Bella Thorne, right?
4: Yes, Bella Thorne, that's how it was. She just recently, like two weeks or three weeks ago, said that she was going to post pictures of herself naked on OnlyFans and you had to buy a subscription to see mm-hmm. her naked. And she made like a million dollars doing this or something, yeah. And but she wasn't actually naked. So then OnlyFans immediately changed their policies for paying out sex workers, which fucked over a lot of sex workers. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of sex workers lost a lot of fucking money. So to me, that's the problem, is when you have these tools that were created for use by working class people, exploited by people who are already fucking millionaires and successful under capitalism, and then the impact of that is only ever going to fuck over the people who were already fucked over, the people who are already struggling, the people who are already marginalized. So that gets frustrating. I mean, whether you're talking about a strip club or an online platform, for the most part, these institutions and organizations are owned by the owners of means of production. I mean, these are men, usually, typically, wealthy white men who own these spaces and can change the rules at their whim. So that's the problem. I mean, I would love to see, I mean, we have seen, we have seen, at least in the United States, like strip clubs that have unionized and stuff like that. It's never as sustainable as we would hope.
2: Yeah, I mean, that was essentially going to be my question on that, like, is even the temporary solution then for, you know, a load of sex workers to get together and make a sort of equivalent OnlyFans. But I guess it doesn't really work that way because OnlyFans has so monopolized the space that you can't just open another one, right?
4: Right. And I mean, I've been to like ABN, I don't know if you're familiar with ABN, in Vegas, I used to go every year. It's lovely because you get to like, hang out with a bunch of sex workers. But there's always a panel for like industry people, like the head mm-hmm. of the industry. Yeah. And it's usually always men, always white men, talking about how they can best profit from these platforms, like creating rule like um what is it called when you like trademark your ideas? Like intellectual property kind of oh, stuff. Oh, like yep. they'll they'll I mean they talk about how to prevent people from creating similar platforms to theirs. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's such a stigma. I mean, I think about this too. It's such a stigmatized industry that of course, a white rich man is going to be the person who can withstand that kind of stigma. I mean, if you are, for example, trans women in our industry are more stigmatized than anyone. And if you're a trans woman trying to create a new platform, like the amount of stigma, I mean, it's just harder to withstand that kind of stigma, as well as the, the legality of all of it that these white men kind of weaponize against any competitor. Or even, sorry to go on a rant here, but I think of like the brothels in Nevada, the owners of the brothels in Northern Nevada, those owners are like the biggest lobbyists against legalizing sex work in Las Vegas because they don't want competition. So it's like always these people who do not, who are not laborers. I mean, it is such a clear example of the owners of the means of production quashing any kind of worker solidarity or uprising.
0: Interesting. There was so, so much there and there was so, so much I could respond to, but it really got me mind going and I've just got a few things to respond to. First, he was Bella Thorne and. That was really interesting, but OnlyFans in that sense is not liberatory for sex workers. It's not something that benefits them from what I heard from your response. In fact, it it only, like Bella Thorne, for example, is not meeting with the people at the head of OnlyFans to negotiate better terms for the users of OnlyFans. She's doing it for her own individualistic opportunism. And I think that we see the same thing as Bella Thorne is not a true worker in that sense. She's a celebrity, having the perception as a worker to engage in further celebrity and opportunism for profit. We see the same thing when it comes down to actual communists trying to go out there and be vanguard. When it comes to like Vorge and like his platform, he's not a true communist. Yeah, he's profiting on these platforms that could be liberatory. If you argued and negotiated for better terms, like on those platforms and just like a general better outlook, obviously Bella Thorne has no political opinions, yet she's like kind of a a political model when it comes down to these conversations of sex work, hence we're talking about them now. So Vorge in the same way, If you truly want to see the actual sex workers on OnlyFans as like sluts and you see them as whores, then you have to see Vorge in the same way that he's a slut and he's a whore to YouTube and to Google. And like he is obviously being dominated by these platforms for opportunism and profit. Yet the same people who were paying Vorge and and going on his, his streams and giving him lots of money, and the same people who like recently. He started a Patreon for no reason. People just went on it and gave him money for no reason. And he's meant to be like Vanguard and like people are looking for him when it comes down to having the right ideology and the right perspective of how to be an actual principal comrade. So yet the same people who were paying him see the, the sex workers as whores the same people who's paying Vors, who he him himself is a whore. If you want to use that same fucking ideology, yet these are the simp's to both of them. So again, it t- it brings back down to hypocrisy, and it just pisses me off. The point I'm making is we need to identify who are two reactionaries in these movements, in these struggles, and to have like, you know, so we know who can re- better represent us in our movements, in our ideological struggles. That was basically what I wanted to respond to because he's really been pissing me off lately and I thought that I could tie that in there, but thanks for hearing me out. <laughs> yeah, I
4: would, I would just respond really quickly and say, thank you for sharing all of that. I think that you, like the word whore itself is something that I am trying to reclaim for myself. I know that Marx used it um, and I know that you and I talked about Marx a little bit in our email communication. I have a lot of critiques of Marx. But he used it very disparagingly. I mean, he was pretty disparaging when he talked about all working class people. But the idea that somebody is a whore, uh, like in a pejorative sense, because they're exploiting something, I think that I'm trying to change like my own internalized whorephobia around that and reclaim the idea of being a whore to make a long story short. Even um, feminists will say women are treated like whores. As if whores are not included in the category of one woman, f- first of all, but um, what would it mean if, like, whores were treated well, you know? Like, instead of using whore as a catch-all phrase for how people are treated like shit and how none of us want to be treated like shit, what if, like, whores were treated better?
0: <laughs> it's so heavy, just the terminology of whore I used a lot. Then I'm so sorry if I offended everybody. That was not my intention. Solidarity, I'm all about obviously standing there with fellow lumpen. But I mean, yeah, just look—even on Game of Thrones, you've got a whole category. Like you got a whole category of people who are just casually called whores. Do you know what I'm saying? And that's how big it is in our society. And like, the, until I started working on this project, I I didn't realize how many sex workers there are. And yet, there's there's fucking millions. Like they seem to be everywhere now that I've got my eyes open. It, it's not just a term. It it is almost talking about a whole group of people who we have to stand. Um, with and, and again, Marx had the the same wrong ideology and how he viewed like the lumpen in general, beggars. Like Marx himself, like he didn't even have a job. <laughs> like
2: he survived
0: <laughs> by like the the um, the charity of Engels. Do you know what I'm saying? He was like a, a bum, and yet he was like he oh look he didn't have a clue when it comes to this shit he's good at like talking that actual like theory but not when it comes down to his talking about people that he didn't even relate to in any way whatsoever so we're hoping that this is a resource that people can relate to so people aren't having the same thought of, 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 of Marx just hating on people that he didn't have a clue about because that's just silliness (laughs) <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, the
2: thing to remember here, right, is like the only constant in the universe is change, right? So the idea that we should, you know, uphold Marx as some kind of, you know, great man or put him on a pedestal or revere everything he wrote or sort of dogmatically adhere to it like it was scripture is is itself ridiculous because those... All of those texts, all of those writings, even all of the thoughts that he had, came out of the time in which he lived that we no longer live in, right? So we, you can go through all those texts, you can take out what's applicable and apply it to today,
0: but you need to discard those things which no longer apply. Has to be said, and and one more final point, and then we can move on with your other question, Ryan. Um, when it comes, when when you said you're trying to reclaim. The word whore. That's what I'm doing with this project with Revolutionary Lumping Radio when I just casually talk about the lumping, meaning like all the hustlers on the street and that. Because you have to change those perceptions of what what these people are because people have got the wrong perception. Absolutely. Ryan, do you wanna respond with your question?
2: Um yeah sure. Uh the question about um you know a couple,
0: why why couple of years, sorry. No,
2: that's fine. I can talk forever. Um the question previously about why you would prefer decriminalisation over legalization. Cause I think some people might not know.
4: Yeah, that's a great question. And um, I will actually say that I'm for anti-criminalization, actually, but I'll I'll explain these terms. So people usually think of legalization and decriminalization in terms of marijuana, um, at least in the United States. And it's a little different when you're talking about the sex industry. So legalization is still um, state-regulated prostitution is usually what legalization means. So in Nevada... There is legalized prostitution in northern Nevada. Those are the brothels. And it's it's actually very expensive um, to work in a brothel in Nevada. You have to pay the house for example Um, you have to get regular STI checks like weekly STI checks but you cannot leave the property so you have to get checked by the brothels in-home doctor which is about $300 a week Um, you're you're tipping out everybody I mean you're you're some people people enjoy working that way Um, but you're beholden to a whole uh, system of payouts and it's you know if you're giving a $200 blowjob and you owe your doctor or three hundred dollars, you've just given a blowjob, and you're a hundred dollars in the hole still. So, um, my preference is not to work that way. When I was escorting, I—I um, I mean, I wanted to work by the terms of like my own abilities and own comfort. I wanted to make the rules around my, my labor. And so decriminalization would mean um, that you can still have these legal brothels if that's how you prefer to work, but that there's going to be no regulation around how you how you work. So if you want to have kind of this independent Escorting business of one person, um, then you can do that. And if you want to hire uh, somebody to be your bodyguard or whatever, then you can do that without fear of that person going to prison for trafficking for like 30 years. Um, so decriminalization basically means that there are no regulations around when, where, or how you sell sex. Um, Anti criminalization kind of takes this one step further. And acknowledges that even if the world were to, like, the entire globe were to decriminalize sex work today, it's still a policy, like, it's still a legal policy, and it's a legal policy that exists within fucked up social structures. So you can have a legal policy, but that doesn't mean that people who are undocumented are going to be protected by that. So anti-criminalization is like, yes, decrim is great, but also it can't just be a legal thing. It has to be a cultural thing. We've got to be dismantling capitalism. We've got to be dismantling white supremacy. Um, We've got to be dismantling imperialism as we're working for um, policy change.
0: Yeah, great response. Uh, Something that... That reminded me of when it comes down to brothels. Was have you ever heard about in Blair Mountain where there was that company where people worked for this iron mine? Uh, I think it was an iron mine, a mining company anyway, and they mined there and then they paid the same company, like. to to live in their houses and they paid the the company from the company shop to to, to, buy the company food and they paid the company for all the liquids and everything to survive. There were company towns. Yeah. So the company built a town, hired people to work there and everything was owned by the company, the shop, everything. Oh, wow.
4: Yeah, that's exactly what it's like.
0: (laughs) Yeah. See, so that's what it reminded me of. So to be in progress, no. So to want to put an end to that and then to liberate people from having to pay these brothel fees and the doctor fees and to pay the brothel doctor, it's like that is progress. And if you're you're trying to move towards a socialist utopia or even just a better world in, in general, you have to be progressive. And it will be reactionary and obviously just as primitive to obviously support these old ways don't you think
4: yeah absolutely i i am just amazed by this comparison what did you call them um the, the company, company
0: towns town. yeah. yeah
4: company town i've never heard that parallel and i that's yeah
0: you should listen to the battle of, of Blair mountain on mm-hmm. rev left radio with our mate brett and um, we'll link it into the show notes anyway so other people can go away and listen to that because I think it is a stark comparison and it's because there's no progress when it comes down to um, the the labour rights of sex workers
2: I mean I also just love telling about people about that period in American history right because it was a time in which labour the contradictions between capital and labour were a lot more raw, a lot more visible and um and that culminated in the Battle of Blair Mountain, right? In which the the U.S. government actually bombed, like they sent bombers and actually bombed like um, entire uh, unions of of miners. Um, yeah. Wow! So, people. Yeah, I mean it's even worse when you think about it, right? Because when you lose in that situation, when you lose your job, you don't just lose your job. You've lost your job. You lose your house. You lose access to be able to purchase any goods. So what happened is when. These miners went on strike. They were fired, which means they were kicked out of their houses. So what happened is you had minor tent cities that would form like just a mile away from the company town. And then when the company tried to bring in essentially scabs, right, like a new new people to work, to work the mines,
0: they would get into fights.
3: Wow. Jeez.
0: Deep but Just think of, think of this though. This is the same government Like ran by the same ruling class people with the same ideology. If they're willing to do these things against their own people, just look at America now and what they do against their own people when it comes down to protesting. If they're willing to do that against their own people and have loads of people within that society justify these actions, then obviously you're going to have leftists infighting against our sex workers and against our lumping. God damn it, people snap out of it and stand together. What the fuck? you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's simple. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of people would say, I think quite fairly, although I am open to being corrected or having some more nuance in this opinion that sex workers are ultimately not workers and they're just simply exploited people who don't have a choice in doing what they're doing. So it's not necessarily a work. And again, they're not working class and they shouldn't stand with us and all that shit. So I, th- I think a lot of people would quite rightly say that if we lived on a communist society where we were provided with all of our necessities, everything we needed to flourish and become whatever we wanted in life without having to sell our labor and be exploited, like the the sex workers wouldn't actually want to still be sex workers. I think that that's one of the strongest arguments people have got when it comes down to whether sex workers are independent people and not just tools to capitalism.
4: I, I, I hear that
0: argument. So you know, is this true? Would you still want to be a sex worker under communism? And like with with that in mind, like how do you think about being a sex worker now in terms of your own personal independent decisions rather than being dominated by social forces
4: yeah it's a great question and I think that I'm going to answer that question by saying that my absolute dream um, is to live off the grid and have a farm that I'm able that is completely self-sufficient and um, and so if like that is to say, my my dream for my own labor would be not. I mean, I don't. I don't want to be in the sex industry. I don't want to be in academia necessarily. Um, I want to be on a little farm with my kid, uh, like milking cows, you know. Um, so, but so I say that story to just say that I I think that there's a lot of labor that we won't be engaged in if there is this. Um, progressive revolution towards you know whether it's a communist revolution or i think of like the cyborg manifesto like if it's a revolution in technology and like all of these machines are doing the shit labor for us such that we have more leisure time like what will we be doing i think it's a really great question but i don't think that that the answer to that question it doesn't match up to the question of rights right like Just because my labor will be different in a different society doesn't mean that I am not also deserving of human rights in this society. So as far as I can conceive, um, if I think about sweatshop labor, for example, um, I think that talking about choice is real. You've got to have this nuanced conversation when you're talking about sweatshop labor. What does it mean to have a choice? Do people choose to do sweatshop labor, or is it the last of shit labor available after, you know, imperialist countries have destroyed their culture? So choice is a really difficult conversation to have about sweatshop, but I I do think that people who work in the sweatshops are my comrades, and I do think that they are deserving of labor rights, and I do think that they should be part of this conversation. So I think sex work is the same. Um, I think choice, obviously there are people who have been trafficked into sex slavery and that it's not a choice. I feel strange that I even have to say that. Yes, making space for those people. Obviously they're not laborers and they are deserving of the world. I mean, I I want to help um, anybody who has been exploited in the sex industry. But if we're talking about people who labor in the sex industry because it's the last option of shit labor under capitalism, I mean, why wouldn't they be part of a conversation about labor rights? And why, I mean, I guess I just don't understand why sex work is the only labor that undergoes this kind of scrutiny. Um, If we talk about literally any other kind of shit labor, I think people generally have the perception that yes, more labor rights is essential to surviving capitalism right now, whether or not that labor will exist post-revolution.
2: Yeah, I mean, choice is a conversation that I could literally talk about for an hour in itself, right? I mean, not only because I don't think anyone chooses to do anything, but I mean, even within the constraints of capital, like, if the only choice capital gives you is sex work or death, I actually don't think that's a choice at all. Like, even though, you know, people can still say, well, technically you chose. Yes, but what kind of a choice is that, right? That That's essentially, you know, you could go back to slaves and say, you have a choice, it's slavery or death. I mean, what? What kind of a choice is that, right? Freedom is the choice to choose between choices. And if the only two you have is slavery or death, then you actually don't really have a choice.
4: But I think that with all labor under capitalism, I mean, I, I would never, except for the instance of sex slavery, which is very clearly slavery, I think that... People make really hard choices about their labor all of the time, every day, under capitalism. And yes, if you're de- if you have a, if you have to make the decision between feeding yourself and laboring in the sex industry, that is obviously less of a choice, perhaps not even a choice, as compared to uh, Bella Thorne, you know, pretending to put naked pictures yeah, up on OnlyFans. So there's there's obviously. Um, a vast range of experiences here but I think that there is room for everybody to have a voice in this conversation Um, and I think that we can also make room for the fact that given your certain set of circumstances that's going to determine the kinds of things you're you're demanding I think that people who are trafficked into the service industry and you know, most people are trafficked into agriculture. So I think that those demands are going to be different and should be different than somebody who is like a working class sex worker. And this just happened to be the best option at this point in her life. You know, I think that those demands are going to be different and that's okay. That doesn't mean that one is less valid. It means that these are two different experiences in the world, both deserving of a voice. And we can make room for that in our movement, I think.
0: We have to if we're ever going to succeed. Hmm. Yeah, potentially. Do you, are you not worried that she'll crowd it
2: out, if that makes sense? That her you know, presence on it will, I don't know, suck up the market, I suppose. She'll be such a dominant figure that she'll take business from others.
4: Who are you speaking You mean Bella Thorne?
0: Yeah, Bella, yeah, Bella Thorne specifically, but anyone generally.
4: Oh, fuck Bella Thorne. I mean... Um,
0: mm, I'd do that if I ever went on to OnlyFans. <laughs> what? I'd take up all the market if I ever went on to OnlyFans. Seems unlikely, but okay.
4: <laughs> um, I mean, I think it's important to say that Bella Thorne is not a sex worker, right? Like, she doesn't get a, con- sure. doesn't get a yeah. voice in this conversation because she's not a legitimate sex worker.
2: Okay, um, I hear you.
4: But what I'm saying is that there are different degrees of choice, even under an oppressive... Um, social structure, like capitalism, you know, on the one end of the continuum, you have absolutely no choice. On the other end, you have complete choice. And I think that the range of experiences in the sex industry, like any other labor is going like there, there is a continuum of experiences, a range of experiences of zero choice and a lot of choice. And yeah, the people who have a lot of choice, like they can sit down and relax for a minute. I do think that the, the voices of more marginalized people are important, more, more important, probably. But this is just to say that when I think of kind of mainstream conversations around the sex industry that are being had by people who are not in the sex industry, usually focus on the complete lack of choice that people have. And somehow that's a valid reason for not giving people labor rights. And so my point is just that we have to open ourselves up to the nuance of this conversation. Like, There's a whole...
0: Host of uh, experiences. For sure. I mean, when it comes down to, would you still want to be a sex worker or in a communist utopia? It's the same answer I think that like Brett gave us
1: post-class society in a communist future society that Marxism will no longer be needed. And I think that's a really important point. Marxists literally want to get to the point where we don't need Marxism anymore. And there's a, there's an interesting echo in Buddhism where, where the Buddha talks about um, the Buddhist practice and the religion and the philosophy and the psychology of Buddhism being a raft. And you get on the raft and you use the raft to cross the river, right? Right. And, and on the other side is enlightenment, uh, to be crude about it. Um, but once you get, once you're enlightened, once you become enlightened in the Buddhist sense, you you, you discard the, the the raft, right? You don't get to the other side of the of the river and pick the raft up and keep carrying it over land. You let go of it uh, because it served its purpose and now it can be jettisoned. And that's the exact same thing with Marxism. That's how I think of myself as a Marxist. I'm a Marxist because I'm in this historical process that needs to be fulfilled. And Marxism is the mechanism by which we can fulfill it and move beyond class society and then i want to get to a point where i no longer have to be a marxist eventually you end your own philosophical outlook because the the need for it has been transcended and there's something beautiful in that you know it's like
0: when he was on the show it was like we want to get to the point where we aren't actually marxists where we don't have to do this we don't want to be involved in class struggle we don't want to do this theory we don't have to discuss it we don't we want to get to the point where we don't have to share the as much as obviously we've loved this discussion with you Juniper and spending time with you, we really want to get to the point where we've made the progress and we're free to have our own choice. And this choice is dominated by our material conditions, what we forced into to survive. That's why we turn into this theory now, because that can provide us the answers on why and how this culture, our culture has been destroyed. Why a land, why we can't simply pick food from the bushes and from the ground to survive and why we can't drink from the rivers and why we have to buy food and why we have to sell our labour. This is why we turn to the theory. So understanding this choice and people are having to turn to sex work, that's just their material conditions in the same way that people are forced to sell their labour to whatever job they work as, like it's that simple. If if they if they're working under the capitalism, they have to sell their labour. There's no other way about it. And people would even go so far as to police themselves to defend this system so much that people aren't willing to become professional revolutionaries. They're not willing to just be involved in class struggle full time. And just saying, oh, we just have to work. But the, the sco- this is going into something else that I've been talking about recently. When it comes down to like doing all the online streams and just like really doing all this shit to try and raise money on on Patreon. And whilst people are listening, if forty thousand people give us one dollar on Patreon per month, we can pay off. A, a big a big shop space in the biggest street in the city centre in Liverpool, and then we can have a base for comrades everywhere. And that's where we can set up shop and we can organise protest and everything from there. And talking about like literally imagining your high street in your city centre if like we had a base for communists there and talking, having the hammer and sickle flying from the goddamn side of the building instead of like a sign for Primark or Mackey's, you've got that capital storage space and that's actual base on the ground. 40,000 people give us $1 on Patreon a month we'll do this and we'll fucking change the world and this is how we'll produce culture and this is how we'll get this message bigger. This is where like the government and people in politics like can't turn the other way. Unlike this podcast, they're forced to see a big major base in the city centre because they as individuals witness this when you go to the fucking city center it's undeniable so this is where this is what the black panthers done this is what the ra done To this is how we build a movement to really actually push us further but these people are defending working full-time and then doing protests on the side and i'm saying no let's step this up to a whole nother motherfucking level people (laughs) are used with me
4: (laughs) that's awesome
0: yeah can I just mention one random story
2: actually that um, you probably want to comment on? Earlier when you were um, you know, talking about legalization, criminalization, etc, I had a conversation with someone once who swore for some reason that the answer to all of these problems was simply to legalize it and then make sex workers apply for a license in the same way you'd have like a driver's license. Bullshit. <laughs> Yeah, I I was just amazed at how, like, I don't even know what that would solve or attempt to solve. I don't know. To me, that's the kind of an opinion that can only come from someone who has no actual knowledge or experience of the situation on the ground, right?
4: Yeah, that's so, that's bullshit. I'll tell you a story as to why. When I was in Nevada, I did have a license. I was a literal card-carrying member of the whore class. And I was stopped um, by a police officer for fucking jaywalking. And thankfully I was not charged with, but I was, it was threatened to me that I was going to be charged with solicitation. Like when you have, when you have to register with the state, register your sexual behavior with the state, they can use that against you and will use it against you whenever they fucking want. And so this is why we advocate for anti crime too, because you can have all of these policies under these systems, if the system is fucked, they're still gonna fuck you over. They're gonna find some way to leverage the the stigma over you, even if it's not criminalized. So I would I would call that a kind of a backdoor criminalization process. It makes kind of white liberals feel good about themselves. Uh, actually, still dangerous for people in the sex industry. I mean, if you yeah, get with, with, and you know, thinking about this too, you know, now that we're all at home because of the virus and I'm homeschooling my own child, uh, you cannot, you cannot even homeschool your own child if you have a, if you have prostitution or solicitation on your record. So, mm-hmm. I mean, registering with the state is not my favorite option.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's also, it also seems to be like this weird sort of liberal fetishization with like bureaucracy. The idea that like, the solution here is simply to inject bureaucracy between the sex work industry and the government is, I don't even know how you get any solution from that. I don't even know what that would even in theory be
0: helping. Totally. That's So there are a lot of people out there as feminists, different genders, sexualities, all of that. But I think there would be a divide. Don't you think within feminism where there would be sex work feminists and feminists who aren't in support of sex work and would maybe see sex work as counterproductive to feminist struggle. Have you got any thoughts on that? How would you address this opinion that people might have? Is sex work something that benefits the feminist struggle and feminist... Um, is that just sex positive
2: versus sex negative?
0: What? Is that what I be? Like, um, would people um yet the the people see sex work as something more liberatory towards the feminist struggle and um and, and and like women's rights and respect as as individuals how would you respond to that
4: yeah so that split actually happened at least in the united states in 1982 at the barnard conference It was a split so this conference was supposed to be a feminist conference about violence against women. And it's really interesting to look at some of these pictures or read Carol Vance's um, book about it. But on the one hand, you have these leather dykes and trans women who were doing sex work and just marginalized people who, for myriad reasons, were not able to exist in the mainstream feminist movement or in mainstream labor. So you've got these people on the one hand at this conference, and then you've got these kind of middle class white women white cis women. And they're arguing things like BDSM is oppressive, sex work is oppressive, uh, pornography is uh, oppressive. And, and um, therein kind of began the split between um, second and third wave feminism, or what some people refer to as sex positivity um, and radical feminism. But I think, again, that the issue, I mean, I think that these conversations about whether sex work is liberatory for women that itself is steeped in patriarchal conceptions of labor because it's, again, looking at sex work as a kind of sexuality, but the only person it's a sexuality for is the fucking owner of the means of production or the consumer, the capitalist. Yes. Um, so I don't even think that this conversation, like whether or not labor is liberatory for women, it, it, it doesn't seem like an important conversation. To the, the conversation to me is, How do we make all labor less exploitative for women? So, I mean, I think that that changes the conversation, you know, like I don't need my labor to be sexually liberate. I don't anticipate that my labor will be sexually liberating for me under capitalism yes you know what
0: i mean like no look i'll I'll tell you just how much i get what you mean because do you remember what i was saying right at the start where people jump on these bandwagons of like what to think about certain situations and then they just repeat whatever fucking land you read on twitter or read it or anything on the internet or heard in real life i think that what you were getting at there was this question of is sex work liberatory does it help liberate women and the perception of like like all of that that question in itself it's all fitting in within that liberal narrative and that in itself isn't actually like a productive question to ask that's actually counterproductive because you're only asking for an answer that fits within the bourgeois ideological fucking understanding of things if you really want to be progressive which is what we want to do if you don't want to find answers that fit in with a capitalist narrative we want to ask questions that can progress us towards somewhere that's that improves the life conditions for everybody on the planet and gets us towards true liberation which is what you're fighting for by asking for how to improve you know the conditions of people existing on this planet who are forced under material conditions Is, is that right
4: Yeah, absolutely. Well, look,
0: see see what I'm saying? Right at the start, I was trying to to explain that. And now I know I've got your answer to listen back to and repeat that. Like, see how much we're learning here. This is like (laughs) a genuine learning experience. Thank you so much for it.
4: Thank you so much. Yeah, this has been a joy.
0: It has. So is there anything you want to add on before we just move on to the the, the closing questions on where people can find you? Is, Is there anything else you want to add, anything you want to ask?
4: Um, Just because I have this platform, I will say, please check out um, hashtag justice for James. Um, James Scarlock was the man who was murdered by one of my family members um, during a Black Lives Matter protest. And um, along with the work I do for labor rights, um, I also, you know, want to bring justice um, to a black man who was murdered by the white supremacist uh, bullshit of my own family. So
0: please check out Justice for James. Yeah, that's the most admirable of you. We'll certainly do that. That's the least we can do for everything that you've done to prepare and, and explain and spend your time with us and really take these difficult questions on and, and answer them in just really interesting, super informative ways that I think people can hopefully learn from and, and hopefully they've enjoyed the conversation just as much as we have. So uh, yeah. before we say goodbye, like where can people find you if you have any plugs, any social media, any websites, anything like that you want to add on?
4: Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Juniperfit. I have my children's book you can buy right from Feminist Press. It's called How Mamas Love Their Babies. I have a chapter in a book coming out in February called We Too, Sex, Work and Survival. And my auto theory will be out soon with Feminist Press as well, which is going to have a glorious title that I cannot say just yet, but I'm super excited for it.
0: Oh, secrets, cool. Wait, I'm building hype. <laughs> so, can we buy a book off you and get it signed by you? And oh, it that would,
4: that's very flattering, yes
0: but i'll do that it'll probably be next month i'll get a message and sort that out <laughs> we'll add on links for everything that you noted on the show notes it's been a pleasure like i really enjoyed this this is hopefully going to be one of the the many discussions on the, the main episode but i'm thinking of releasing this early as a single episode if that's if that sounds good with you
4: Oh, yeah, that sounds great. This is, yeah, I've done a lot of podcasts. This is probably um, the funnest <laughs> that I've done. It's been <laughs> great. Thank you.
0: Oh, sick. You, you can come back anytime. But, okay, so we'll love you and we'll leave you. And we, again, that's been us. Ryan is a Marxist. Shibby here. Juniper. If you've enjoyed this episode, find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash non podcast. Again, $1 each from of dollars We can change the world and start a revolution. It's not about me, it's not about the podcast. I just genuinely want to put an end to capitalism. So with that said, workers and a mountain of the world, unite. I was the first
3: brother of Doing whatever I had to do to survive I'm not saying what I did was all right Trying to break out of the ghetto was a day-to-day fight Being down so long, getting up didn't cost my mind I knew there was a better way of life and I was just trying to find You don't know what you do till you put under pressure Across 110th Street of a hell of a tester Across a hundred and ten Street Pimps trying to catch a woman that's weak Across a hundred and ten Street Pushes won't let the junket go free Across of hundred and ten Street Woman trying to catch a chick on the street Across a hundred Street About right now. Hey, brother, there's a better way out. Snorting that coke, shooting that dope man you copied out. Take my advice, is either live or die. You got to be strong if you want to survive. The family on the upper side of town will catch hell without a ghetto around. City, you'll find the same thing going down. To the capital, baby, get on time, let me sing it. I trying to catch a woman the Across the hundred